Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's great to be back in the United States. I was just spending uh, about 10 days in Santorini, Greece, an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And in that island, there was a no-drone rule. They were not allowed to have any drones going on at all over there, and that was absolutely terrible. Uh, I wasn't really planning to use a drone, but I just don't like drones being frozen out. And I've never, and over over the course of that uh, 10 days, I grew to hate selfies. Did you? Because any beautiful scene you want to go look at, Mm -hmm. there are 22 people blocking the way trying to take the perfect selfie. And it just goes on and on and on and on. I had that problem yesterday. I was trying to pick, take a picture of the Columbus statue in, in Baltimore, and people are, you know, hanging around, looking for the right shot and shooting videos. It's like, Come it on. just goes on Move and on. on and on. And, and I did the, the, the scenery in Santorino is beautiful. So uh, a lot of young women were dressed in very beautiful dresses going there to take portraits. And, of course, it has to be the perfect lighting, the perfect wind, and perfect everything. So they just might hang around in that area, you know, for half an hour until they get it just right. So I, I got to be a little annoyed with all of the uh, <laughs> I'll bet. all of the uh, the selfies. But it is quite uh, quite beautiful there. And they have, uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, Internet. They've got Internet over the whole island, not, yeah. not really a problem. They've got <clears throat> good cell phone co- connectivity. All the hotels have internet access so the you know so my so the technology there was quite good now this week it is uh, you know a lot of things are going on of course facebook had another you know talking about another security breach that looks worse and worse and worse mm-hmm. as we find out more about it there's a bug in the latest windows 10 update that some people say delete some of the files on their computer so that's bad that's a little bit of a problem and <clears throat> there's a increasing problem with these deep fakes where People are taking, you know, innocuous pictures from Facebook and turning them into porn movies using AI technology. And this has become a bigger and bigger problem. I don't think this is going to be an issue for either of us. No, it's not going to be an issue for us at all. It's, it's, it's usually young women in their 20s are hit with this, and it is a problem. I'm going to talk about it, and something's got to be done about that. And uh, this week we're going to feature the man who developed the... The uh, the uh, sensor, the solid state sensor, CMOS image sensor, which is in all of our cell phones. Yes. And the thing that's so funny about this is that somebody said after he had developed this sensor and they said, was there anything that surprised you about the use of this technology invented? Mm-hmm. And he said, the one thing that I did not anticipate was the selfie. Interesting. So, and of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Well, look who showed up for work today. He certainly did. We got an email from Al in Waldorf. Hello, Doc and Jim. Long-time listener in Waldorf, Maryland. I've heard your concerns about public Wi-Fi without using a VPN. As a former Intel person, I always think security and avoid putting anything personal on the air. Even at home, all my computer stuff is hardwired. My question is about the security of computers in business centers at hotels. I travel a few times a year, don't have a smartphone, like to check my email to avoid returning home to hundreds of old emails when I get back. But I worry about the security or that or lack of security at these hotel computers. They're not connected to Wi-Fi, but I have no idea what kind of software is present. Is there any way to detect whether there's a malware or key or key logger installed on it? Uh, Thanks again for an interesting show, Alan Waldorf. 
Well, Al, business center computers are risky. You really can't tell if malware or keylogger has been installed. Now, some hotels have created a, a, a pretty good secure system that what they do when you reboot the computer, it actually reads a new image of the operating system off the hard drive. So anything that the previous user did is gone. And <clears throat> that's probably the best system, and some of the big chains have started doing that. Uh, however, you never know whether that was the case. Now, if you go to a chain and you know that they're doing it, then, then what I would do is reboot the computer. When it comes back up, you're okay. But a lot of these smaller hotels, they don't really know what they're doing. And, of course, the, um, the employees there don't know anything about the security. I mean, for instance, we had a Stratford employee a few years ago logged into a business center uh, in New York just to check the Stratford email account. The next day, her email account had been hacked, and a whole bunch of emails had been sent in her name. It, and it took less than 12 hours for that to happen. And, they, and so that was a case. There was a key logger apparently on that computer, and all of our login information was sent there immediately. The Secret Service, in collaboration with the National Cybersecurity Communications Integration Center, has notified the hospitality industry of this threat to business center computers, and they're asking them to do something about it. Unfortunately, that's almost impossible to detect whether a computer is secure or infected with malware. Now, if you're on the road and you need to print something from your email account, what you can do, you can create a free throwaway email account, like, like create a new, you know, and there are a lot of free email accounts you can use. Create a free email account that you're just going to throw away, forward your email to that account, then print the document, and then when you're done, just delete the account. And that way you're not actually logging in with your real email account. Also, the other thing that I always do when I'm traveling, when I, I just do in general, all of my email accounts, all my critical accounts have two-factor authentication, which means that even if somebody does get my password, there's a code sent to my cell phone, and then it's a, normally a six-digit number, and you've got to enter that six-digit number in in order to access it. So two-factor authentication does, does uh, help protect you. Uh, from that. So if, you, if you're forced to use your email account and you're not really certain about the keylogger, make certain you've got two-factor authentication set, on, set up so even if they, uh, they do have your password, they can't get in because they won't have the second factor. That person that got hacked a few years ago, they did not have two-factor authentication set up. So once the password was gone, the folks were in. Hello, Dr. Shirts and Jim. Help! <laughs> Help! Now that it's so easy to take digital photos, I find myself overwhelmed with photos. In fear of losing the precious moment, I've backups to my backups. I got Amazon, Microsoft, Google, external hard drives. I use a backup program called iDrive. They all seem to be collecting photos at a feverishly rate. Duplicates of photos are everywhere. Several of these are seeming done automatically. Do you know any program that will collect all of my photos, put them in some sort of order, and delete the duplicates? I'd like to have an easy way to use and, a, and have a reliable backup for all of my uh, photos. <coughs> well, what you need to do, uh, Dave, is you need to get a, some photo organizing software that will locate duplicates. It will sort through the photos using different criteria, date, location, face recognition, etc. And now you also have to make a point to consolidate all your photos in one location. That'd be the, your, you could call it your digital hub. Because if you, if you don't have a digital hub from which all the backups are made, you don't know where you're standing. And so I would have one location with a digital hub and have one cloud backup. You pick the cloud backup that you like and then you back up your digital hub with that. Now your digital hub could, could of course be on your computer. Your digital hub could be an external hard drive. Uh, the reason I recommend having a cloud backup for at least one of them is that, you know, you could have an external hard drive as a backup and your, and your computer as one copy. Then you have two copies at home. But suppose your house floods or your house burns down, then you lose all your photos. But if you have it backed up at a different location, that's basically good disaster recovery best practices. So you want it backed up at a different location. So the cloud backup gives you a different location. That's really very good. Now you need some way to organize your photos. Now, I personally loved using Picasa to do that. That was a, that was a great program. I'd, I'd used that for years to organize my photos. And then, and then Google bought them. And then it was Google Picasa. And then eventually Google discontinued Picasa and transferred everybody into Google's photo, which is a pretty good service. 
Now, Google Photo, and this might be one of your options, it's free. It includes free cloud storage as long as you limit each picture to 16 megabytes. If your pictures are bigger than that, and some of the high-resolution cell phones now have bigger pictures than that. Some of the digital SLRs are bigger photos than that. If you have bigger photos than that, you can have paid storage and, you know, something for like, you know, $5.99 a month. You'll have plenty of storage, and you can just pay Google. And everything is then organized within, within using Google Photo, and they've got face recognition. If you want to remove duplicates, so what you're going to want to, if you want to, you, they've got something called Duplicate Sweeper, which will find and remove duplicate pictures stored on your Google Photo storage. So you want to pull all of those different sub storage subdirectories in one digital hub, and then you want to use your duplicate sweeper to sweep through them. You can download, and then you're also going to want to download and install Google Drive Backup and Sync so that as you add photos to your digital hub, they're automatically backed up to the cloud. Now, I checked many photo professionals. These are people that have got, you know, they've got thousands of photos to manage. Photo professionals. Photo professionals, <laughs> yes. And that would be also called professional photographers. <laughs> <laughs> depending <laughs> depending on whether you get on the right side of the bed or the left side of the bed that day. There you go. <laughs> that uh, actually they prefer professional like photographer. Photo professional. Yeah. That's very good. <laughs> That's right. So, I looked at a number of these photo professionals and they actually preferred a program that 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 you pay for. They say ACDC. Capital A, capital C, capital D, capital S E E. A C D S E E. It's it's been around for a long time and it got great reviews from the pros. ACDC Photo Studio has a number of editions. They've got the standard edition, which is almost exclusively a photo manager. It's available for all versions of Windows for $89. And they have kind of a semi-permanent sale on now for $39. There's an unrestricted 30-day free free trial that where you can try it out, but you've got to set up an account to use it. They also have ACDC, ACD, S-E-E, Photo Studio Professional Edition for $99, and that's got some super professional photo editing built into it, as well as the photo organization. So I tell you, a lot of the, of the pros were using that professional edition, which isn't too bad. That got great reviews. It also has automatic photo editing features, that professional edition. Like if every time you take a photo, you always do a certain enhancement sequence to all your photos, it does it automatically for you. You can build it in to be automatically enhanced, which is really nice. There's also a Mac version of ACDC, which is available. doesn't work exactly the same, but it looks like it's pretty much equivalent. If you want to use ACDC, S-E-E, uh, for duplicates, you have to use the Duplicate Finder plugin, and you can search for duplicate files on your hard drive. And once you locate the duplicates, you can rename or, or you can delete them. So those are those are two different options. They all of them have various. They'll use metadata to sort of sort them and put them in folders because you want to organize your your photos by folders. So like if I'll go on a trip, say Santorini, I'll put all of my. I took 484 pictures on that on that particular trip. So I've created a subdirectory called Santorini. I put all those pictures in the subdirectory, which makes it easy. But there's a nice thing you can actually because both of these. Both of these programs have face recognition, so you could look at um, you, you 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 could actually sort pictures. You could actually search for pictures by who's in them. You could you could search for pictures by uh, by by GPS locations, by time, by city. So there are a lot of ways that you can search for these things, and so it's a very good way to organize your photos. And you are right. You reach a point in life where you need a photo organizer or you just can't survive. <laughs> we got an email from Gene. Greetings, gentlemen. Well, Thank we got them fooled. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for all the interesting information you dispense with your own brand of humor. With that, our, with uh, our that, own that brand of humor. A backhanded compliment. That's right. As <laughs> <laughs> opposed of to. Unfunny humor. That's right. With our own brand. <laughs> Uh, I have many VHH, VHS tapes that I've made through uh, that I've made throughout the years, and I want to save them using my PC, my Windows PC. I've done this in the past by transferring the DVD, but I'd like to move forward and maybe you know be more forward-looking and transfer them to something more advanced, like a USB drive. 
I did look up the process online, but I'd like to do this with the best possible results and don't know the best way. Would appreciate some clarification. Some of the tapes are great, have great sentimental value. Thanks, Gene. Well, Gene, it makes sense to convert all your analog VHS, VHS tapes to digital format because, you know, analog tapes over time, they will age. They could rip. So you convert them to digital, then you've got a, something of a permanent record. You got a choice. You, you you've got different formats you can store them. You got MPEG, MPG format. You got .mov format, or you got MP4 format. Any of those will work. You just pick one format, and that's a that's basically a digital movie format. Uh, I I like MP4 because it's more of a generic standard. .mov is more like um, uh, an Apple standard. Mm-hmm. Now. You, you, you basically want to store your files at two locations that are separated. As I was saying, you know, in case your house burns down, you don't want to lose them, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to be a bearer of bad news. But if, but if you've got two backups in your house. If, and if you a meteorite them, lands on your house. That's right, and, your, and, and your house is gone, so you want to have one backup at another location. So I would suggest that you, that, that you, that you have one, uh, one local uh, storage one on a hard drive and then you've got a uh, one in the cloud now what i do is is i've got my uh my pictures on my laptop but eventually i have so many pictures that i've ended up i've ended up porting them to an external hard drive a usb external hard drive that i've had have at home and i've got my cloud storage set up so it backs so when my external hard drive's plugged into my laptop it backs up the external hard drive so i'm actually using as my digital hub my external hard drive, which is then backed up to the cloud, and that that has worked up pretty worked out pretty well. I also have my pictures, of course, on my laptop, so I'll initially copy them onto the laptop, and those, and then when I want to archive them and keep them long term, I move them to the external hard drive. And of course, my my laptop is is also backed up to the cloud, so I've I've got everything backed up now. When you want to take now, do not use a USB drive for permanent storage. Period. USB drives are easily corrupted. Now, a USB is used for, like, moving files. So, like, if you want to share your files with, share your movies with someone, you could just copy them to a USB drive, and it's very convenient to share. But but if you, you can easily, easily corrupt the USB drive. So that's not really permanent storage. It's temporary storage, and it's just used for portability. Now, the nice thing about cloud storage is that if there, if all your movies are on the cloud, you can just share a link with your friends, and they can and they can go and look at them right on the cloud, and you don't, you don't have to worry about the USB drive. Now, if you want to if you want to start digitizing your VHS uh, tapes, the first thing you need is a VHS player, which many times many people don't have one anymore. It's hard to find. That's right. You you can go to a local consignment store. You can actually go to eBay, and you can, you can get a used one on eBay for about thirty bucks. Didn't we talk about? Wasn't the, the last commercially available VHS player? Did we talk about some years yeah, ago? We, they stopped. They, they, they stopped making them. They right? stopped making them. So you, you got to get a used one. And so you can go to eBay, get a used one for about thirty bucks. Then you need an analog to digital converter. And uh, and I like this Diamond VC500 USB 2.01 touch. Uh, it's available. Uh, that's Diamond VC500 USB 2.01 touch. It's do available. You have for, a v, do you have a VHS at home? You, uh, or, or have you given up on it? I've just given up on it. Okay. I've just given up on the, you it. You see, that could be a side business for you. You could be digitally converting. It, no, you've it, got enough else to i do. got enough going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I do. I do. Actually, I do have a VHS in. <laughs> In store, I've got a bunch of all my old you electronics have, I, stored in a bin. Why am I not surprised you have stuff actually, laying around? I actually never, never, never throw old electronics <laughs> away because everything looks beautiful to me. I just can't throw it away. I just can't throw it, it away. It may come back one day. It, it could. Probably not. So you can get this Diamond VC 500 USB 2.0 for around $33. And the nice thing is that that gives you the, the, the software to... To, to, to form to, to save your video to save your you know to convert your VHS to any one of the video formats uh, you could it also gives you software to, to, to burn it to a DVD if you want I mean I kind of agree with you DVDs are probably not the way to go because you know they're, they're we're getting rid of DVD players now so it's much I think cl- cloud is the new DVD and an external hard drive I mean you can get a one terabyte external hard drive for like you know 50 bucks or something so I, th- I think that's that's really the way to go. 
Now, if you want, you can use uh, you can use um, editing software like iMovie for the Mac or Movie Maker for Windows, and you can b- combine these movies in, into like into like one big movie, be- which might be kind of nice. Combine them all together so you don't have all these different files. Right. But yeah. That's really a good project, and I um, I wish you the best of luck. Yes. We got an email from Bob in Maryland. Just a note to let you know that I still listen to Tech Talk every week religiously. And that even includes the times when I'm in Canada, since I'm a Canadian citizen down here with you Yanks. Well, it's a good thing we have that <laughs> Canadian line you can call in for the pop quiz. Uh, exactly. That's really and that We have a lot of Canadian, uh, Canadian callers. And it's also good that now we have a good trade agreement with Canada, so there, there are no issues anymore. What, what is the new name? Is the U.S.? I don't know. U.S.? Uh, it's something worse than NAFTA. I, I just call it the new NAFTA. <laughs> the I, new I, I, I just can't remember what I the I don't acronym. think President Trump would appreciate uh, that. That's right. And he, he says, uh, Bob says, I love the show and recommend it to all my friends. Well, Bob, thanks for the for the feedback. We It's a joy to have listeners like you. Or listeners at all. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. We got an email from, uh, let's see here, from Raymond in Virginia Beach. Dear Tech Talk, can vendors track when I open their emails? You know, I get these emails from different stores and all. I don't like to be tracked and want to avoid it. Can they track me? And if so, how can I stop it? Love the show, Raymond in Virginia Beach. Well, Raymond, practically every email you receive from a vendor is going to try to track you. I can tell you that right now. And, um, and this is how they do that. You know, the emails, they, they actually have HTML code built into them like a web page. They also have images built into them. And there's these emails then, whenever you load an image, they know you've loaded that image. So every email where they want to track with you open it, there's a tiny image file that's only a single pixel in size. You don't even can see it. It's just one by one pixel. It's a very small image, and it's just the color of the background. You can't even see it. So when you, when you open the email, that little pixel image is loaded, and it has a particular name on it. And so they can tell that you, it has an identifier on it, and they can tell that you opened up that email. Now, if you want it set up so that they're not going to track you, you can set your email client not client not to load images automatically. And she'll just see like an image placeholder there, but the images won't be loaded. And then unless you click on it, the image won't download. So if you do that, they can't tell whether you've opened up the email or not. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we will get back to you as soon as we can. All right. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 820 AM, 103.9 FM HD2. We have new music. Whoa. There we go. Yeah, I, I went into the audio library this past week and got us some new. We're keeping it old school like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> so I have all this music here, and I'm not quite sure what it is. So it's <laughs> going to be interesting the rest of the morning. If you want to watch us on Periscope today, a little bit of a change. You'll have to watch us on at Jim WBAL Traffic. I am not able to get into the uh, WFED Periscope account. So if that's how you want to watch this morning, go ahead and go to that uh, on uh, Periscope. Download that app to your uh, device. Otherwise, we'll be right back here on Tech Talk Radio. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Eric R. Fossum. He, of course, is an American physicist, an engineer known for developing the CMOS image sensor. That is the You're going to tell us what CMOS stands for, yeah. right? Yeah, Complementary Metal Oxide Semiconductor. And I'm going to explain well, that in more detail later on. I sure hope so. I'm, and I'm going to explain why it's complementary and why it's cheaper. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit is, later. Is it free? Is it complement? Never mind. It is. No, it's not. It's not Your free. complementary image sensor. It is used. This CMOS technology is used for all computer chips, all sorts of digital switches. It's used in memory. It is the dominant uh, electronic structure used for everything that we know mm -hmm. about in, uh, in, that's done in silicon for processors. Uh, Eric Fossum was born October 17th, 1957. He was raised in Simsbury, Connecticut. Now, while in high school, he spent Saturdays at the Tal Talcott Mountain Science Center. Mm -hmm. And he credits his experience at the Science Center with his lifelong interest in science and engineering. Talcott Mountain Science Center. It is. It's, I've actually been there. It's a beautiful place. Wow. The, uh, the tower, uh, and I've, it escapes my name. Uh, the, the name escapes me right now, um, was owned by the people of the Seagram's Company. Hmm. And they actually live there. So it's, it's, it's uh, I don't believe, I think uh, R.G. Reynolds now owns it, and it is uh, basically open for tours. It's a beautiful place, and the views are amazing. It's a short, This is an East Coast mountain. It's only about 900 feet. Yeah. I can um, see why he spent his, his afternoons there at Telcott oh, Mountain if Science you, Center. If you lived in Simsbury, that's about the only thing there is that, to do. That's about it. That is, he received a B.S. in physics and engineering from Trinity College. That That's in Washington, D.C., actually, yep. in mm -hmm. 1979. And he got his Ph.D. and master's degree in electrical engineering from Yale, Yale University. He's got his Ph.D. in 1984. Then in 1984, immediately after getting his Ph.D. from Yale... He joined the faculty at Columbia University. And, why, and at Columbia is when he started his work on imaging, and he worked on CCD, focal plane image processing technology, when in high-speed uh, 3.5 compound CCDs. That's near and dear to my heart because this is I used to work on that kind of stuff too. And CCDs, charge-coupled devices, were the dominant way that they could read the image from an uh, from an image array, and uh, and so that's what they would do. And they wanted to get sensors that uh, they wanted to have infrared sensors, so they would have to use a compound that was that would actually generate electrons with infrared radiation. And three five compounds like gallium arsenide or gallium aluminum arsenide could be used for that. So he was working on that, and that was very state of the art image imaging technology back in the um, in, in the mid 80s that's when I, actually that's when I was working on it then in 1990 after doing six years of research at Columbia on CCD focal plane technology he was hired by NASA's JPL jet propulsion lab to manage their image sensor and focal plane technology uh, their R&D program there so they hired him out there and they had a big CCD research activity going on and they, they were going to put him in charge of that and around that time, and he had always dreamed of working for NASA. He said he was fascinated with space, and he wanted to make equipment for space exploration. So he was really happy to get this job offer from NASA. Now, he got out there to NASA, and, they, and NASA had this new program where they, had the th they wanted to make things faster, cheaper, smaller. You know, they, they wanted to change the whole the whole supply chain on how they would transition product out of research and get it deployed. And one of the goals in this was to make a smaller sensor because if, if they wanted to get things in space, they needed, they needed to really shrink the sensors way down. So his goal was to make a mini miniaturized charge-coupled CCD camera, CCD camera with the, with, for the onboard interplanetary space Craft. I mean, he had to miniaturize this, take it down from, say, the size of a bread box to the size of a, a coffee cup. That might be the, the idea. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that took, a, took a, major, a major push. 
Now, one of the problems with CCDs is that see, it's a charged coupled device. Like if, are you familiar with the with the bucket brigade? Like of uh, you know, like uh, let me explain how CCD works. Like, well, you, like in the old days when there was a fire. When there was a fire, yeah. and 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 you basically you transfer one bucket to the next, the next, the next. So so what happened in a CCD array? You've got the sensors that that that, that absorb the, elect, the 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 photons, and they generate photoelectrons. And then you gather these photoelectrons in, in a potential well. It's like a bucket. So under every picture element, you've got this bucket which is collecting up electrons. And then what you want to do when you want to read out the sensor, you start transferring the electrons from one bucket to the next bucket to the next bucket to the next bucket. And it's like a bucket brigade. And so the problem is, is that the you, you lose electrons every time you transfer from one bucket to the next. That's called transfer inefficiencies. And so it's hard to scale these CCDs up to very large sizes. In addition, all the CCDs, they, 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 the bucket brigade takes all of the buckets out to the edge, and then, they're, then they go through a single analog-to-digital converter. So it's basically a serial output for this huge array. So you're sort of limited on how fast you can, you can get the data out there. You know, they're complicated to run. It also takes, the larger they get, you've got more constraints on the quality of the semiconductors so that you can get good transfer efficiency. So there are just a lot of scaling issues with CCDs, but it was the dominant imaging technology back in the, back in the 80s and the, the 90s. The thing that made Dr. Fossum innovative, he questioned that. Mm -hmm. He was brought in to be put in charge of the CCD research, and he questioned whether that was the best way to really proceed. So he said, listen, why don't we try something different? Instead of having... Uh, the CCDs set up here where we use chart where we use charge couple devices to read off the charge. Why don't we take and put a few electrons and uh, a few transistors in every picture element, and then right at the picture element itself, we'll read the charge, convert it to a voltage, and just read out the voltage. So, so that's what he proposed, and and that and that was a uh, that's what that was called an active pixel sensor, an APS. And that was almost heresy because everybody working on CCD said, what are, what are you doing? CCDs are the way to go. This active pixel thing, this is just stupid. Because back then, you know, the, the you know, integrated circuit technology in the mid-'80s wasn't that great. It, I mean, it's, it's dramatically improved since then. We've got smaller and smaller feature sizes. So what he did, he, he then started working on that. And they put a few transistors in every cell and it would convert it to voltage. And every cell, every picture element was an individually addressable. So now you could read out a whole row in parallel. And the other thing that you could do then is you could do an A to D conversion on one row at the same time in parallel so you could, you, you could move things out much quicker. So we started working on this thing, and it turned out they made their first proof-of-principle array. Was, it was about a 1,000-element array. You know, that's around 30, 30 by 30 array, 30 by 30. And and he um, and it worked. It worked the first time. It wasn't any complicated clocking, nothing, nothing was going on. And so so the thing actually worked pretty well. And he thought, well, this this is gonna scale because now we can scale it much larger and then we don't we don't have to worry about charge transfer and efficiencies. We can actually do the A to D conversion in parallel. Moreover, it turns out that the transistors they were using, they were using MOS uh, field effect transistors, and they used both. Uh, they used two kinds of transistors. They had one type of transistor where you used electrons as the carrier, and those were called NMOS transistors because electrons are charged negatively, so that NMOS FETs. And then they had another type of transistor that used electron vacancies or holes as carriers, so those were called PMOS FETs. And it turns out that if you use a combination of NMOS and PMOS together, you can actually get very low-power switching circuits, which are needed for, for this little, amp, for this little the, the, the processing they're doing in each element. So if you have circuits that use both PMOS and NMOS, they, they call that complementary MOS or CMOS. And so we use CMOS technology, and, uh, and the thing actually worked really well. Because it turns out now with CMOS technology, the power requirements of the array are about one-hundredth of the power requirements of a CCD array. So it was a dr dramatic reduction in power requirements. 
And so Fossum uh, patented these things. He's got, he's got about 100 patents. And then NASA's job is now transfer technology to industry. So he immediately started working on industry transfer technology. And um, so he transferred the technology to companies like Eastern Kodak, to AT&T Bell Labs, to National Semiconductors, to Toshiba, and others, and they transferred it. Now, the problem was he was um, transferring it to other companies who also had CCD research teams, and it was really being met with, a, with less than enthusiasm. So there's kind of an arms race for this. Yeah, and so they were saying, well, come on, CCDs work good enough. What's this CMOS thing? It's not, it's not, because there are problems with the CMOS technology in that even though it was low power, I mean, you lost a lot of the, uh, of the real estate, uh, the imaging real estate to this electronics. And so, and so it had less quantum efficiency. So we solved that problem by putting a little micro, uh, an array of lenses over it to focus the energy on the smaller, on the smaller active element. He, he did that. And, and that worked fine. And there was also a problem with noise. The CMOS readout was just a lot noisier. So in order to solve that problem, he sampled each s signal before they began integrating and before they began collecting charge. And then he sampled it a second time after they integrated the charge. And he just took a difference of the two, and that reduced the noise. And so he used a few techniques, and he, and he got it better and better and better. But here's the thing that made the difference. CMOS technology is what was used by Intel for all of our CPUs. It was used by the, by the memory people. And because of Moore's law, they were getting smaller and smaller and smaller feature size every year. So the CMOS technology was getting better and better and better. So he's ahead of the power curve here. And eventually, the CMOS technology got so good that the CMOS arrays became almost as good as the CCD arrays. Hmm. But they were much cheaper because the CMOS processing technology was the standard integrated circuit technology. So now you could take and put the integrated, you could put the A to D conversion on the same chip as the sensor array. You could put all the electronics on the same chip as the sensor array. So you could create now a camera on a chip, which is, which is what we have now in our in cell phones. In our pockets. Look at we, that. It's got up, it's what we got in our pockets. Now, here is why Eric Fossum, I think, was such an innovator. There are a lot of guys that just say, well, I can't do this technology transfer. It's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. These companies aren't doing anything. He got fed up with that. He wanted it to transfer to industry faster. So it turned out his wife also worked at JPL, and she was home. She just had a baby. And uh, this really isn't in the notes. This is kind of the whole this side is an story. Aside. And his wife said, you know, these guys are not taking this CMOS sensor array seriously enough. <laughs> <laughs> we could design our own chips at home, and we could set up our own fabulous company. Uh, you know what they call a, a fab, uh, fab uh, a, a company with, that doesn't fabricate their own chips. They call it fabless. Uh -huh. And then we would design the chips, and we'd send it to Taiwan and have them manufactured, and we could create our own company. So he said, "Well, that's not a bad idea." So while she was home on maternity leave, they bought some equipment, got some CAD CAM design tools, and they started designing chips. So he he started a company. That uh, that was uh, that he called Photobit, the Photobit Corporation, which was designed to commercialize the technology. Because his goal was to get this technology commercialized. You see the di the difference between invention and innovation. An inventor is a great idea. An innovator applies the great idea to make a difference. Eric Fossum is an innovator. He wanted to see a difference. So they they set up Photobit, and. Um, and so his wife stayed home and worked for about a year. A couple of the guys in uh, Eric's team quit JPL, and they went to work for Photobit. Then after a year, he quit JPL. He just went all in. He quit JPL, and he just uh, went with Photobit. They put all their savings in this thing, and they just started <clears throat> selling it. And they were making money because people were, were ordering these, uh, these chips that they were making. And so they were the only company that was actually manufacturing CMOS sensor, image sensor arrays and people were buying them. And then this is what happened. He thought that Toshiba wasn't that interested. But actually, they had had a secret team working on this CMOS, CMOS sensor array. And so, boom, out of left field, they released an entire CMOS sensor array, and they started selling it. And he said, hey, wait a minute here. This, uh -huh. this is going to be hard for Photobit. I've only got 120 employees. It's going to be hard to, uh, it's going to, be hard to scale and compete with, uh, 
with with these guys mm-hmm. with with Samsung. It's gonna be hard to compete with Samsung. And so, and so what happened was he decided in two thousand and one. Okay, he started this around nineteen ninety five. He became the chairman of the board and chief scientist in nineteen ninety six. He became CEO of Photobit Technology in two thousand. I guess his wife was initially CEO, mm-hmm. but then. This was when they had this huge competition from from Samsung, and so he, but he realized that what happened was as soon as Samsung said this thing was actually serious technology, all of a sudden everybody else said, "Hey, if Samsung's doing it, it must be real technology," mm-hmm. and his orders went up. You know, all boats rise in a in, 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 a, in, in, in a rising tide, uh-huh. and so he was doing great. They were making great money, but he said, "This is the problem." I don't have enough people to scale fast enough to compete in this market. Now the big guys are in. So he decided he needed to sell out to another company who had the money to scale it up. So he sold Photobit to Micron Technology, and he became a senior Micron fellow there. And uh, he, 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 could, he could stomach that for about a year. He said, you know, <laughs> I was watching a YouTube video. He said, you know, it's nice being the grand poobah, but then when you sell out, you're, the, you're not the grand poobah anymore. And he said, yeah. I can only take that for about a year. So he, mm-hmm. so he quit Micron, and then he joined another company called SI Wave, and they developed uh, another kind of device called a microelectronic mechanical system, a MEMS device. This is where you use silicon processing t- technology to make little mechanical devices like little oscillators or you could you could isolate a, 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 a an oxide and, and it could heat up you could have a sensor so you have all sorts of mechanical des- de- designs that are that are etched in silicon these are mems devices so he worked on that that for a while because he, he likes to work on technology and that and that was re- and then Psywave was uh, was then later acquired by Tessera. and then he decided to go back to research i think he was i think he was done with his um, with his transfer work, and he joined the Thayer School of Engineering at Dartmouth, where he teaches research, uh, where he teaches, he's still working on image sensors, and now he's working on a new image sensor called Quanta Image Sensor with his graduate students. Now, this Quanta Image Sensor, this this thing is going to have, you know, a billion pixels, and each picture element is going to be able to detect one photon. That's why it's called a Quanta Image Sensor. It's ultra-sensitive, and he's really excited about it because They'll, they'll sample each sensor, each sensor very often to see did a, did a photon show up. And because a photon's either there or not there, they're able to read it out at very low noise because they're, they're, it's, almost like it's, it's almost like a digital photon counter, but it's an array. So this is like, a, this is like the next generation of image sensor. He's working on that now at Dartmouth. He, he loves working on it. This guy's an innovator. I mean, the reason I featured him is that's very rare you get a scientist working for NASA who wants to accelerate technology transfer. It's not going fast enough, so he quits NASA, and he starts work, and he starts his own company to transfer it. I mean, that take, takes guts. It takes a lot of guts, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, he, the guy really, really impressed me. Um, and it turns out he just didn't make that much money out of the deal because I was all of the patents are owned by Caltech because, Cal, because JPL is part of Caltech. Mm-hmm. So all the patents are part of Caltech. So when he started his company, Photobit, they licensed the technology. They licensed his own patents from Caltech. And so, um, and so he didn't really make a big killing. I mean, had he owned the patents, he would have royalty billions. On, all, on all these cell phone cameras. It would be billions, right? That's right. Now, and I, I, sort of, I, I sort of, you know, alluded to this earlier. Somebody asked him about what surprised him the most about CMOS imagers. He said... The popularity of selfies. He never anticipated a selfie. That's it never crazy. even occurred to him. Mm-hmm. Now, he co-founded the International Image Sensor Society. He's published over 260 technical papers, holds more than 150 patents. He's a fellow of the IEEE. He's received lots of prizes. I mean, I, I, I listed three here that I thought were pretty exceptional. He got the NASA Exceptional Achievement Medal in 1996. He got the IEEE Andrew Grove Award in 2009. And he was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2011. So there is all you want to know about Eric R. Fossum, a real innovator. There it is. Hey, while you were doing that, I, I posted some pictures of, because this all started on Talcott Mountain in Simsbury, well, Connecticut. Yes. I, I, po- I posted some pictures on Twitter, which you can see by following me, either Jim WBAL Traffic. You can go to Stratford underscore U 
or to WFED Tech Talk. You can see those pictures. And Doc, we talked about how the Hubline family, this is Hubline Tower, H-E-U-B-L-E-I-N. Okay. okay, so there were Seagram's uh, liquors, right? Uh-huh. And A1 Steak Sauce. Wow. So All there you from go. there. All Very from there. Good. There you go. It's Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio heard on the <laughs> Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. You, you, you want to soak in the applause, I oh, see. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it feels so good. There, so they good. missed you so oh, while you were gone. It's, I'm so happy to be back, y'all. Yeah. And nobody in this studio is taking a selfie now, which makes me very happy. Well, I think we're old school. We're not uh, really big into that. No, I know that's no. true. Well, you know, this is just not a, a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get eight plus for this session. Plus, you'll be able to go to one of our, you know, dining rooms for fine dining. Now, earlier in the show, I talked about Eric Fossum. He, of course, is the... Uh, I guess the father of the CMOS image sensor, and that's mm-hmm. the sensor used for all cell phones and digital cameras. And he worked initially at Columbia, where he developed CCD uh, focal plane arrays. And then he moved to what lab where he actually invented the CMOS image sensor? If you know the answer to today's question, well, good for you. Step two is picking up your phone and giving us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're riding your bird scooter in a snowdrift in <laughs> Canada, call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. And, and if co- you're dialing from a top of the mountain, not quite finished use yet. the international line, please. 877-936-39333 or 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS. <laughs> and if you are calling from a hot air balloon in Napa <laughs> Valley, you can reach us on using Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1. You're called before to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. Okay, enough of that nonsense. Okay, let's talk about the word of the week. <laughs> this is the this word that dangerous. I just learned. No, no, you just learned this. I word? just I've learned known this it for word. Years. Doxing, doxing. Really, doxing. I, I didn't really know what that means. Doxing. You know, like doxing is an internet-based practice of researching and broadcasting the private or identifiable information or personal information about an individual. This last uh, week, there were two or three senators who their private phone numbers and addresses were identified, posted to the web, so they were doxed. Ah, see, that's doxing. 
turns out that doxing comes from the abbreviation for documents, which is D-O-X. So it means that you're actually putting documents, docs, on the web. There you're being you go. Doxed. And so I didn't really know what that. I, I had, didn't I had to. I had to look up because they said three senators have been doxed this week. I had to look up that word. Gotcha. Okay. All right. You know we're running behind here, so let's go ahead and play the game because okay. we do have somebody who would all like right. to join us on the telephone right now. There we go. There's the music. Let's go to line one. This is Marshall, who's calling us from Potomac, uh, Maryland. Marshall, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Dr. Schertz, please, the question. Yes, earlier in the show, I talked about Eric Fossum, the father of the CMOS image sensor. What lab was he working at when he invented the CMOS image sensor? NASA JPL. That is correct. That is that the is correct, correct answer. Marshall, thank you very much for playing, and thanks for calling in this morning. We're going to send you back over to Andrew, who will take your information, and we will send out that prize to you forthwith. Doc, because of the time, let's not take a break. Let's, let's just, just keep talking about right stuff. Through. Okay. okay, now the question is, should you buy or upgrade to an Apple Watch Series 4? I mean, I know a lot of people that have Apple Watch Series 3, and then the 4 came out, and they said, oh, here I am behind the scenes. Should I upgrade or not? Well, let's look at what the Series 4 has. It's got a little bigger design. It's got a slightly larger screen. It has more biometric sensors than, than ever on it. And it's got some real health benefits because it can track more things of your of, uh, of more biological items. Now, like the previous model, the Series 4 comes in two sizes, the 40, the 40 millimeter, the 44 millimeter. And it's slightly larger than the previous ones, which were 38 and 42. It also features a heart rate sensor which cap and is capable of generating an electrocardiogram. The improved heart rate sensor can also detect irregular heart rhythm and abnormally high or low heart rates. It also features something that's pretty nice, a fall detector. And, and if, if you fall down, it will automatically notify, it'll set, it has an emergency notification and it will automatically generate a notification. It will Send it to your friend. It will send it to the police, whatever you have. The GPS-only model is $399, up from the past models of $329. The LTE, that's the one a cell phone connection, is at $499. That's up from $399. Now, the Series 3, and I've got a lot of friends that have a Series 3, is a fantastic watch. If you already have one, then you've really got a great smart watch. The biggest benefit of moving to the 4 is just the improved heart rate tracking. So I don't think... Upgrading is worth the money. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've got like a Series 1 or 2, I th upgrading may be worth it. See, I don't need all this stuff. Now, I, I, I just want my analog watch. Now, here's the but good news me. for people that haven't bought a watch yet. The Series 3 is now cheaper. So you can now get a Series 3 GPS for 279 or one with uh, with LTE with cell phone connectivity for 379 So, you know, the, the, the older model is now cheaper. So if you got an older watch, older Apple watch, it's probably worth upgrading. Otherwise, don't bother. I'd, I'd have to agree. I'd, I, I'm really, I'm really, I don't think I would use any of those things on the, the Apple watch. But I, yeah. but, but if, yeah. if, if enough of my friends get them, I, I, I may, I may you're, succumb. I'm, I may I'm succumb. actually kind of surprised because you're such a gadget guy that you don't have one just to play with. I haven't. I've just never worn a watch for years. Ever. No. When was the last time you wore a watch? I mean, probably in high school. I just don't wear a watch. Time doesn't seem to matter. No, time just doesn't move. <laughs> now, here's, here's the idea of the week, and I love this idea. Teach coding like a foreign language. Because actually, computer code is like a language. It has syntax for rules and all. You can teach it like a foreign language. Captain Mike Kanan, he had a great idea... He, he works for the service, and, and it turns out that now we need more military men who know how to code. And he had, this, he had this epiphany moment. He said, wait a minute here. Computer languages are like languages. And it turns out the military is extremely effective at teaching languages. They teach foreign languages to, to, to their troops. They can test for language aptitude capacity. They've got accelerated language schools where people can learn foreign languages quickly. So he says, why don't we take our foreign language technology and apply it to computer coding? That was just a fantastic idea. I mean, the Air Force already measures linguistic aptitude uh, with tests to determine airman's existing fluency, his or her capability to learn another language. So they could uh, do the same kind of tests for computer programming, and they could, they could then teach... Uh, 
computer programs like Python, Java, C++, which all have their own unique vocabulary, their own set of grammatical and construct rules, just like any other language. So they use their language teaching methodology to teach computer languages. That is a great idea. I love that idea. In fact, it reminded me when I went to, when I was getting my PhD many years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, PhD you have to have a foreign language, and so I was at Catholic. I didn't know that. Yeah, that if, if you if you get an applied doctorate in a foreign language, you get a PhD. You have to have a foreign language, and I'd taken German as an undergraduate, and uh, so the, my, the natural choice would be to use German as my foreign language. But I just didn't want to go through all that rigmarole of you know boning up on German. Mm-hmm. So I went to the catalog at Catholic U. And I studied, they said, you have to have a foreign language. And so I, I decided that Fortran was a language. So I, I, went, to the, <laughs> so I went to the department head, and, and, I, and I said, well, I've selected my foreign language. And he said, okay, very good. I said, it's going to be Fortran. And He, he said, looked at you like you had two heads. He said, you can't do that. I said, <laughs> I said, wait a minute here. I looked at the catalog. The catalog said, this is the definition of a language. I looked at the definition of computer, and I said, look, this meets the requirements in the catalog. Mm-hmm. So they went back, they did all their linguistic analysis, and they concluded that, in fact, Fortran qualified as a foreign language. No kidding. And so I, I used Fortran for my Ph.D. at Catholic University. You are one smart cookie. And, uh, and then after I got my Ph.D., they changed the catalog, and they explicitly excluded Computer, computer languages from the language requirement. <laughs> and, of so, course, this was a snap for you because you already you, you already knew this, right? Yeah, I already knew Fortran, so it was... Smart, I don't know. and you, and I you just, know shortcuts. I just really enjoyed... That's, that's I just, a great story. I just enjoyed doing that, and I, I actually think they didn't mind it because they thought it was kind of a clever fix. And I could have done German, but I, I just didn't feel like it. Well, you know what? It was going to get you where you wanted to go. <laughs> that's right. Now, I want to remind everybody today, if you've got a success, you've got three months to get a free battery replacement. I'm glad you reminded me because I haven't and I need it's, one. It's only $29 to get a free battery re- replacement. And now, this is the interesting thing. So, Marianne went in and got her battery replaced for $29. And then the next day, her, her phone wouldn't charge properly because they installed the battery wrong. So, she went back and they said, well, actually, if we mess up, in the installation process. You get a new phone. We'll give you a new phone. I knew so, it. So they gave her a brand new phone. She gets <laughs> she gets more free stuff. That's right. So this this battery replacement deal for $29 is going to end December 31st of this year. The normal price was $79. So, you know, so just be mindful that that's something you want to go for. Yeah, I definitely want to do that. Now, the Facebook security preach is worse than we thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York Times reported that 90 million Facebook subscribers were forced to log out of their account due to an unprecedented security breach. The hackers had access to all the personal information of 50 million users, and they could log on to the account as though they were the account holder themselves. The hackers SX the Facebook account through a bug in one of Facebook's video uploading programs that had been introduced in 2017, and it allowed them to create access tokens, which gave them access to the web account. Mm-hmm. So Facebook had better clean up their act. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and then go to the Stratford University website. Stratford.edu. Check out all the programs there, health sciences, business, IT, um, accounting. And then tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, My Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? 
Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.